Welcome back to the Voices of Latinx podcast. My name is Hector. My name is Myra. My name is Mariana. And my name is Sandra. This episode will revolve around an appreciation for efforts for greater inclusion. And in our conversations with our interview participants, often included their expressions of appreciation for efforts at greater inclusion, helping them connect with the community, with each other, and trying for good communication in English and Spanish. We heard from youth and parents who found support outside of the family, found value in community resources, and articulated their aspirations for even more programming and communication that could happen in the community. In talking about how his parents and their experiences had kept him on track with his studies and his life goals, one of our interviewees, Andres, mentioned that he also found a key support system in a non-Latinx member of his church. He said, I also had this lady at our church. She is like my white mother. She always reminded me to be on top of things, and she was the most definitely a person that I trusted throughout my time my time in school and she is one of the few that I do trust. Another interviewee, Brianna, uh, talked at length about how um, it was helpful having different programs that connected her through um, one such as PASOS in um, the upstate and how she believed that these programs helped her become a better mother. Um, She would use the Upstate Family Resource Center to go to girlology, as we mentioned in the last previous episode, um, and helping her open up to her daughter about um, puberty and being more comfortable with correct terminology and going about terms and vocabulary um, to talk about puberty and the changes of her daughter's body that she goes through. Um, And so it helped her understand to give proper names to things and how to go through a process of growing to age with her daughter. Yeah, I can say like after doing our research and talking to all the community partners that there's a lot of help going around and people willing to um, help out the Latino community. So we have a lot of allies, but oftentimes it's misplaced and people just aren't aware of where to go and how to go about the help um, that should be giving. And then talking about the money aspect, there's also, we saw tons of money that Spartanburg County has or that the city has, but they're also misplacing that and giving that instead to things that aren't as important and don't help the community, but rather just the people in charge. Yeah, which is the purpose of this report and, you know, the research and helping these community partners allocate the money the money to where it should be used and um, and improving the programs that there are and using it better. From both Gabriela and Brianna, we heard that the schools were doing well with translating key materials and communications about school activities for the parents. When we asked Gabriela to compare her experience with schools now with when she came to Spartanburg years ago as a child, she said that back then there wasn't much help. Today, there is much more hope. Um, and later on, we went to ask her about how she felt about her children's school activities. And what she said was that she thought that there was a more welcoming Uh, and just more communication from schools about activities and opportunities um, 
for out of school time. I think I can relate to that in a bit. Um, just growing up, uh, I saw like even with my own high school, um, more things in Spanish being offered, uh, even like as simple as calls, you know, like from the district letting you know about school change or no school or even if it's like a late bus, but those types of calls in Spanish. Um, and that that really helped uh, my parents out. And that also kind of relieved some stress for me because I was always put in a position where I had to translate for my parents at a young age. Um, and so when the school started doing that on their own, I kind of, you know, took a break from doing a lot of that, if that makes sense. Yeah, because um, whenever I was in elementary school, I don't remember them sending papers in Spanish, but whenever my brother what whenever my brother was in elementary school, he's a little bit he's a lot younger than I am, like four years. They started doing the phone calls and the papers in Spanish. So like you say, it relieves a lot of pressure from a young child trying to translate something when you're so young. You don't even know the, the proper vocabulary in English, so how how can you translate in Spanish, you know? So it does relieve a lot of pressure. I think it's a good thing. Yeah, and I think too, on top of that, by translating and having all of these programs, you get the parents to be more involved. Whereas if you don't have these translations or different um, programs that are you know, instilled into the community, then you kind of push the people away and the parents away from being involved and being active within their children's lives. What we also saw within this research was that the schools that were doing this type of work and actually reaching out to the Spanish-speaking parents, it was the younger children's schools, so like the elementary and the primary schools. But then when you get to high school, uh, that was kind of non-existent. Or like we mentioned earlier, they were using Google Translate instead of an actual translator or the Spanish teacher. Yeah, and I think that brings up another um, kind of issue, I would say, because like my parents, even though they see papers in Spanish, they don't necessarily understand them or comprehend them. So the Google Translate really doesn't even help. Like it, it's like it's confusing. It's confusing, yeah. So so schools definitely know what they got to be doing in the sense that we can tell that the schools that try the most um, will actually like maybe not hire somebody for that specific role, but ask. Uh, staff or faculty that do speak Spanish to, you know, like uh, edit something or do uh, phone calls or record automated phone calls for future purposes. And then schools that aren't really trying but are aware of the situation will just, you know, use Google Translate or resort to other sorts of electronic things, um, which does count for some, but at the same time, it doesn't really help if it doesn't get the message across to the people it needs to be reaching and so like for the school's purpose like our parents really need that clear and poignant uh, communication otherwise there's really no use in translating directly from Google Translate yeah um, also Paola one of the youth we spoke to said talked about how schools have improved communication in Spanish and English, and that kind of goes hand in hand with what we were talking about. Um, diversity of school, faculty, staff, and greater diversity of parents getting involved with the schools. So she mentions how language was a bigger issue when I was in grade school, and we would get certain paperwork or hands out, handouts. It would be in one language. 
Now I feel like there's they have more diverse faculty and staff, so there is people that are there to translate. So yeah, having a greater diversity of, of faculty really, really makes a great impact um, in our community. And I'd say in retrospect, when you have this diverse faculty and you have like another teacher that you know speaks your language or understands you at a young age that kind of helps you navigate school I know when I was growing up and I didn't know English it was really hard to even want to be there and so now I'm I kind of feel remorseful to teachers in that position and that's why I never looked at that as a future career so maybe that might open up some doors you know, there's this thing, or maybe saying that, you know, if you want to be a teacher, it's not because you're doing it for the money. Um, and I think this is one of the, like, examples where we can see that, um, kind of like what you were saying, Sandra. Um, we really don't think about how impactful uh, bilingual staff are until we feel safe around them or with them um, or through their work. Uh, and, and, yeah, I feel the same way, um, like, back when you know Spanish class and in high school like I, I would think to myself why why is this such a big like you know deal of importance um, but then you know after doing all the work that they put in that's not you know with Spanish class and you know helping directly out with the Spanish community um, or Hispanic community it does go a long way and it's pretty impactful so um, hopefully someone out there can be inspired to become a, a teacher or just go into education and even like being placed on the other end like you being the teacher and talking to a student that is Latinx when I used to um, volunteer at Arch Ministries there was this little girl that was crying like it was her first day and she was crying so much and the director didn't know what to do and she didn't really speak English as well so I was put in charge of like kind of figuring out what was going on with her and I figured it out within like 10 minutes and she was fine within like 20 minutes. But that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't been there and kind of, you know, understood her and talked to her in Spanish and figure out what was going on. So it really does make a great impact. Yeah, I feel like that goes in hand with what we were talking about in the previous episode and having mentors and people that you can relate to um, being something essential um, and something that might be a great thing to have early on in your life in order to help guide you and kind of make you feel comfortable and have a safe space. And so I think with your experience, Mariana, you, like, you were someone that was able to be a mentor, someone that that girl could trust in, in her experience as she's growing up in her life. So I think that's how important it is to have people that are able to translate and help people be um, these translators or communicators between the community members and help create a safe safe and welcoming space in Spartanburg. And moving on, a member of our research team observed some focus groups taking place at the Upstate Family Resource Center. The groups were conducted in Spanish for two local initiatives, uh, which are Road to Better Health and a Steering Team for Child and Adolescents Mental and Behavioral Health. The researcher observed a welcoming demeanor from the host and appreciation from participants for the inclusive conversations. Um, they went on to like describe ov the overall process, but overall it seems pretty welcoming. 
and I think this directly relates to what we were just talking about. It's not, I mean, translation is pretty important, and in some instances it can be enough, but when it comes to practicing, you know, like mental health or practicing some sort of uh, initiative to create a better sort of understanding about mental and behavioral health um, in Spanish, uh, it just directly fits in the community, whether, you know, it's different from a therapist explaining something to someone in English and then somebody having to translate that to Spanish rather than a therapist just straight up saying it in Spanish. Um, while there can be a few things that can be lost in translation, I think that, you know, just coming directly from the therapist, they have the option to kind of shift and, and lead the dynamic in whichever way they want. And I think that's kind of what we saw here with this um, focus group. Yeah, I think another big question is like, how do we get people to come to that understanding? Because uh, I know for me, I've still never been to therapy and I know I need it. Um, but just growing up, like my parents never went. And so they kind of just deal with it their own way. And that's how we were taught just to deal with it in our own way, not to um, disclose it to anyone. So I don't know, I think a lot of people associate getting help with like kind of being locals or la loca. So that, you know, I don't know how to take that away, but thankfully this program is in place, which I'd, I'd never heard of it before. Yeah, <clears throat> I think it's also because a lot of the times too, if you're a child of immigrants, your parents have been through um, situations where survival is what they had to um, kind of figure out first. So like the pyramid where survival is at the very bottom and going up, you know, you have more mental health and stuff. Um, so I feel like a lot of the times because they had to deal with survival, they didn't necessarily have the room to deal with mental health and now that we are here i feel like since our survival and our needs are met we have to like go up the ladder and stuff like that so i think that's where why there's such a stigma in the latinx community because i mean as long as you have food on your table you're fine right <laughs> but that's not true yeah i uh, funny story when i was younger um, you know, you when you're in your preteen kind of era, age, and you're growing up, and you know, as a girl, you know, you might you're going through these hormonal changes, and you get sad sometimes, and you get these different, you know, um, behavioral changes. I remember this one time being sad, and I'm going to my dad, and I'm like, oh, I think I'm depressed, and he's like, depressed depressed doesn't exist like depression's not a thing like you just need to like get over it you know and it just kind of shows how you know mental health is stigmatized and because of the lack of education and kind of um help or programming like it it isn't really known so I feel like obviously with great programs like this one if people were to be more informed and obviously um educated I think parents would be able to help their children a little bit better and and helping them with their going growing experience as a Latinx um, member in the community. Another thing that <clears throat> kind of came to mind was when I was growing up when 
when I thought of therapy, I associated it with money and people that were affluent went to therapy and that's why. So maybe there's some misinformation about the cost of therapy. I mean, like I said, I've never been, so I don't know how that would work out. Um, but what I do know is that there aren't enough Latino therapists in Spartanburg or in South Carolina in general. Um, Mariana and I had the opportunity to speak with some other girls from upstate that go to USC upstate. And they were talking about, you know, the external stress and how they go to therapy because they have a Latino, right? Um, that helps them out and that, that has helped them, you know, overcome all these challenges and had that person not been there, they don't think that they would have made it. So, um, I mean, we can see the benefits of having someone there. It just creates a whole thing of like having more Latinx therapists but I feel like, you know, as Latinos, we have to have the opportunity for an education for that. It's a whole cycle. And, I mean, especially for our mothers in this, you know, circle group, a woman talked about how she would want to be an eagle to be able to fly and then one, a polar bear to sleep and another one, a tiger, so she wouldn't be afraid. I just, you know, in my experience... The Latina women, they just go through so much. I mean, especially when you have a family to care for. And, you know, I sometimes my mom considers my dad like one of her children because she has to do everything for them. And that's just the way things are. And that's how he's conditioned. So he's never going to change. Um, they just go through so much. And I, in retrospect, I really wish my mom would have went to therapy because that really would have helped but one thing that I do remember my mom doing for us um, and kind of something that she would do to get some steam off was just take us to the library and she would just go and read her books in Spanish because they had a little section of books in Spanish and that's how she just felt in her own you know in her own mind state of mind um, and like Brianna mentioned you know, she says that the library is a place that offers a lot of resources and activities for her family here in Spartanburg. So I think, you know, the library goes hand in hand and it helps a lot of people. Yeah, so like when I was growing up too, um, we lived right by a library and it because my mom didn't know how to drive and my dad was working during um, the afternoon, she would take us there just because um, the people there knew how to speak English so they could help my sister and I with our homework and stuff like that. So yeah, I think the library could be a very good um, tool for a lot of Latinx families and allowing them to, you know, those resources because I mean, I saw it with my family. And now that y'all mention it, I, you know, like, yeah, growing up, I also kind of like thought about the library. Well, I've never actually thought about the library like that, but now that I am thinking about it, um, like in Saluda, there's there's a very small public library, but it seems like there's always a lot of Latinx people there. Um, and it's always for the same reason, either help with something, reading, uh, even just simple as playing, you know, computer games. Um, so I think it just goes on to show how like the library and, and well, the library and their, and their systems have in a way, kind of created almost like a safe space for yeah. just a lot of Latinx people. Um, just whether it be trying to blow off some steam or actually trying to get something done, like it's got a place 
um, and it serves to you know take a healthy study break at times. So and even up till um, high school, I would still go to the library. So it's just like a thing. I always, yeah, it's comfortable to me. So I I get the safe space feeling. Yeah, and um, like Brianna mentioned, I mean it's such a centered area where there's internet for her to use activities and summer programming that her and her kids would um, utilize to do their homework and such things like that. So I think if anything, what we can learn from the library is that um, I think partners could use the library as a place to, you know, spread information and have translations of other programming or essential resources that they can use. That's a good point. Um, Just because we've all been saying or alluding to how like maybe a one solution to some of these uh, systems and cycles is education and trying to learn more about certain things. And, you know, (laughs) what better metaphor than trying to learn at a a library? Um, And so it's it's interesting. we could literally set up programs catered for Latinx um, people that they could benefit from since they already use the library as a safe institutional space. I think the we would have to be really careful if we were going to try to do something like that to not take away from that sort of safe space uh, notion um, so that we could have both an education component and that safe space. I think overall this research uh, project has allowed me to see that my lived experiences are other other people's lived experiences. So like it kind of makes me feel like I'm not, or I didn't grow up alone. Does that make sense? Um, And that people still continue to struggle with things I've struggled with my whole life. So it kind of makes me feel like I have a family outside of my family. For me, being from Spartanburg, um, I initially, you know, from this research, I would have thought that the reason why we didn't see a lot of active Latinos around our community was because they didn't want to participate. But it's the complete opposite. You have a lot of families that are willing to want to be a part of the community, but just the lack of access, whether it's transportation or them just not knowing how how to interact with um, other community partners. I think once we open the doors for that, Spartanburg is really gonna flourish. Um, and we see it whenever we have the international festival. You see a lot of cultures in the international festival and just for that to be a reoccurring image, to see everyone happy, Um, would be great and a lot of people would benefit from that yeah and I feel like you always have to start somewhere with anything so I think these are definitely baby steps that are going to snowball into something greater and and nicer and more welcoming for the Latinx community members in Spartanburg and I think that this report kind of reflects that and their experiences and their voices and helping them kind of have an influence on the programming and efforts that are being made to make Spartanburg a more inclusive, safe space for them. I think overall it's been quite an experience 
being part of this uh, just research and, and the formation of the report and now it's dissemination. Um, and one big question that I've had in my mind uh, the whole time we were, you know, doing all these things was what what is like this concept of Latinidad, you know, like what makes someone land next? Um, and it's really hard because we bump into instances where language becomes a barrier. Um, like some people don't speak English or some people don't that are Latinx don't speak Spanish. So, you know, you, you can't say that language is overall the ultimate thing that makes you Latinx or e even for that sake, um, in a way like heritage, maybe, um, or even just where you were born kind of also takes away from that uh, concept. So in a way, I feel like the shared experience that we've all been talking about kind of is, in a sense, what makes others not Latinx. Um, and what I mean by that is that, you know, we talk about the hardships and barriers that we come across um, and how we can relate to specific things, uh, whether it be, you know, social norms or reproductive, reproductive health. Um, but we've always found a way to relate to these voices um, and, you know, by of uplifting these voices at, at one point or another, we've, we've ourselves shared our own experiences for others to hear. Um, so in a way, what makes us Latinx is what others aren't experiencing. And uh, it, it's, it's a really interesting point. Um, but overall, I, I'm glad we had the unique opportunity to uh, listen to these interviewees. Um, I think that they were, you know, one kind of brave um, to really share with us their emotions, um, you know, given that it's already hard to do that being Latinx. And two, um, just us sharing our own experiences and our own emotions throughout these few episodes. Um, so it it's been it's been real yeah and i'm i'm glad that not only did we get to share these experiences but also celebrate them and and kind of help others see what it is to have this experience as a latinx community member and i think it's amazing that we're able to uplift each other's voices and help each other get through our past experiences whether they were good or bad and I think it's such an amazing beautiful thing to have an opportunity to have created a podcast and disseminated the report that we created. Yeah and so I think that wraps up the discussions revolving around the themes. Um, we do plan to have uh, maybe a few more episodes uh, or a few more um, instances where we bring in community members and talk about allyship and the importance of uplifting the Latinx voice. Um, but yeah, I think that's it for now. Adios. See you later. Ciao. Bye.